Well, we're continuing in our summer series on the Psalms. I did have somebody ask me next week, so are we starting a new series this week? No, we are still in the book of Psalms. And uh, good news, if you're tired of the book of Psalms, we only have 142 more to go. So take out Easter and Christmas. That's three more years in the book of Psalms, but we're only doing the summer. Uh, so we have a few more weeks in the book of Psalms. And Today is particularly one of my favorite psalms that we're going to get to, but when we read the psalms, it's a little bit different. It's important to read the Bible, all of it. Uh, All of it is the story of God, the purpose of God for your life, but there are different types of books that are in the Bible. Psalms is not necessarily a history book where it's accounting the story of God and what God did in his people. Uh, Psalms is not a prophetic book that's telling, telling the people of God, this is what God is going to do in your midst. Psalms is not an instructional book that tells us, now this is how you ought to live as one who follows Christ. Psalms is a different type of book. As we've mentioned, if you've been with us, this was the early church, uh, even in the New Testament, but certainly in the Old Testament, this was their, their songbook. This was their hymnal. This was their playlist of worship songs that were written uh, out of victory and out of defeat on the good days and the bad days, expressing their worship, their frustration, their crying out to God. And so as we read the Psalms, it's almost as if we found some journals from the Old Testament, of people expressing what it was like to follow God, how it was hard, how they had seen God's faithfulness over and over again. And we get to look at their journals, and that very much describes today's psalm. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 51. And at some point in your life, this is a song that is common to all of us. This psalm is about confession, repentance, and restoration. And that is a beautiful song to have played in your life. How God can take the broken pieces and put them back together to make something beautiful. Psalms, it's this peek into their life story, their relationship with God straight from their journals, and Psalm 51 is certainly one of those. I mean, it very much seems like this is straight out of, King David writes this one, it's straight out of King David's journal during one of the most difficult periods of his life. One of those times when he wished everybody could just move on. Can we just forget that this happened and move on? Maybe you felt that way at some point in your life. I'm so ready for this chapter to be over. I'm ready for people not to be talking about this anymore. Psalm 51, David is going to write about that chapter in his life. Now, I want you to grasp what is happening here. Imagine you're going through one of the darkest moments in your life. And you've got to get it off your chest. So you take out a pen and paper 
and you start journaling what you're going through. And that journal is then later found and turned into a song. You show up here on a Sunday morning. Josh leads us through this, this song about God is up to something good. And the next song comes up and Laura does these great graphics for us that come up on the screen. Well, on the second song, your picture comes up on the screen. And along with your picture, we start singing about your worst moments. How terrifying would that be? We all gather and sing about the darkest moments in your life. It would be mortifying to have our brokenness on display for everyone. But not only that, not only did the Old Testament believers sing about David's darkest moments in Psalm 51, it gets included in the Bible. So here we are thousands of years later, and we're still reading about and talking about here in San Antonio, Texas, 2023, about David's darkest moment. There's a reason why Psalms like this are included in the Bible. The Bible just doesn't include all of the highlights and pretend like nothing has ever gone wrong. Sometimes we have that picture of Christianity. It's all just a bunch of goody two-shoes. They never struggle with anything. This is the opposite of that. All through Scripture, really, you can find the opposite of that. There's a reason why this type of psalm is in here is because this is relatable. We've all gone through moments where we wished we could just put it behind us. But when we look at Scripture and we allow Scripture to look into us, we will find things that connect to us. Occasionally, after a service, I'll get a compliment from one of you that says, man, I, I, just, I felt like you were talking right to me. And I can assure you, I never write a message for any one specific person in here. Although I did get pulled aside once. Uh, early in ministry, uh, I was in Victoria, Texas, and I was speaking to a singles group. After the service, this lady pulled me aside, and she was mad. I mean, she was angry. I know that you were preaching that sermon to me. And she thought I was just calling her sin out before everybody. I tried to assure her I was not. But when we look at Psalms like this, it's the real life that we all have to face. And we find common ground here. So if you're wondering about what, it, what is the darkest moment that Psalm 51 refers to, because it doesn't just outright say, but Psalm 51 is a direct response to what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 11, most of you will be familiar with, at least to some degree. It's the account of David and Bathsheba. Chapter 12 is part of the same story, but it's a little less well-remembered by people. It's the story of David and Nathan for entirely different reasons. Chapter 11, here's the recap of what happens, the Cliff Notes version. David is the king. He sends out his army for their routine expeditions. He stays back at the palace. He goes up to his rooftop patio, which would have been 
common in this sort of architecture at the time. As the king, his palace would have been the highest in this hilly country. So his rooftop patio could have looked over the entire kingdom. As he is looking out his rooftop patio, he notices one of his neighbors. One of his neighbors would have been the wife of one of his high-ranking officials. It's Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets a bad rap. Uh, If you've grown up in the church, you may have heard the story, you know, Bathsheba, she, she's a bad lady, right? She gets a bit of a bad rap. Um, here, here's a general picture of how it would have looked. David would have been able to look down over the kingdom. Bathsheba and Uriah's house would have been close. They didn't have indoor plumbing necessarily, so you would have gone out to the courtyard to a basin to wash yourself. And it would have been in an enclosed courtyard, so it would have been private, except for the guy who was up on his rooftop, right? What David should have done in this moment is he should have looked the other way, but that's not what he does. There's nothing indicated in Scripture that Bathsheba does anything wrong or that she was some sort of temptress. David should have remembered his commitment to God, how he was God's chosen leader, but instead, he makes a poor choice. He has his servants go over next door and bring Bathsheba over for a visit. She wouldn't have had any say in this as the king. She would have had to have done what was being requested of her. The servants even try to warn David. That's a married woman. She is married to one of your high-ranking officials, Uriah. David ignores this this wisdom that was given to him. You all know what happens as Bathsheba is brought over to King David's home. And soon Bathsheba finds out that she is with child. So David immediately goes into politician mode and tries to cover up the problem. He brings Uriah home. He celebrates him as a, as a great leader in his army. He gets him overly flowing with drink, gets him drunk, sends him home, says, hey, go home. Spend some time with your wife. But Uriah is honorable and says, my men are out on the battlefield I can't do that. So he sleeps on the steps of his own home and doesn't even go in. So David has to try to cover it up even deeper. He writes a sealed letter and sends it with Uriah, says, hand this to the general. In that letter, it says to put Uriah on the front line of the battle. And as the battle gets intense, have everybody pull back except for Uriah. So Uriah takes his own death notice to the general. And Uriah is killed. So David thinks, I've done it. I've covered up my mistake. Nobody is going to know. I've gotten away with it. I can hide my shame. I can bury the sin of my poor choice. Which, When we do something we shouldn't do, 
our natural response, I just want to forget about it. I want to pretend like it never happened. And if I need to, just let me cover it up. And sometimes we put lies upon lies upon lies just to try to hide the things that we have done. The Bible tells us that things that we do in darkness will be brought to light. That brings us to chapter 12, 2 Samuel, where you've got Nathan who comes to visit David. Nathan is a prophet. He's respected by David. So when Nathan shows up, David welcomes him in. And Nathan says, King David, I need to tell you a story. So David welcomes this story. He says, in your kingdom right here, there is a very rich man. He's a sheep farmer. He has all the sheep that you can imagine. Close by this very rich man is a very poor man. This poor man just has one sheep. He loves him. He named him Fluffy. He pets him. He carries him around. It's all the poor man has is little Fluffy. Well, it turns out, David, the rich man had a big feast. He was inviting over some important people. He needed to feed them. But rather than serving up one of his own sheep, he goes over next door and he takes little Fluffy to be served to the guests. He took the man's one possession. David, as Nathan tells him this story, Scripture tells us, David is livid. This is not how people behave in my kingdom. This will not happen. So David says, the man is to be executed. And all of his sheep will be given to the poor man as retribution for what he has done. Nathan looks at David. Says, David, King David, the rich man is you. And David begins to put the pieces together. So now, does he try to come up with a new cover-up? Maybe he has Nathan killed to continue to hide his poor decision. What is his next move going to be? And David gives us a half-hearted confession. He does tell Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The light bulb begins to come on. And that is a good start, but it doesn't erase the mistake. Nathan will go on to tell him, you will find forgiveness eventually, but you will face consequences. Some will be immediate and severe. Some will be long-term for the rest of your life. And then Nathan just leaves it with David. So what is David going to do? He's made some poor choices in his life that have been compounded by other poor choices that he put on top of that. He has tried to cover it up. He has hoped that it would go away. And he realizes now that God knows. 
as much as he can hide it from everybody else, God sees and God knows exactly what happened. So Nathan says, the ball is in your court. And as David wrestles with this reality, he writes Psalm 51. So that's how we get here. I'm going to read the whole thing to us. This is David crying out. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. He's speaking symbolically here of his life as the leader of Jerusalem. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. In one of his most profound moments of brokenness and shame, wishing he could go back in time and undo what he has done, wishing it would go away, he is aware of the reality that he now must face the consequences of the choices that he has made. He writes these words, and here we are thousands of years later, and we can relate to that brokenness. 
because we all have things within our own lives that we have gotten wrong. David doesn't do everything right, but I think there's three things that we can really take out of Psalm 51 that we should be able to apply to our lives. Now, I'm saying we can relate. I'm also assuming that none of you in here have had an affair and had the spouse of the affair assassinated. It's just an assumption, but, you know, I'm assuming that we can look at David's situation and say, well, that's not my situation. But I can also venture to guess that all of us have something in our lives that we would say, I would just like to forget that that ever happened. Maybe even we have things in our lives that we think, I hope nobody ever finds out about that. Maybe it's something we've done. Maybe it's just desires that we have had in our heart, thoughts that we have had within our mind. Things that we would like to never come to light. So there are three things here that we can learn from David's 51st Psalm. The first one is this, confession and repentance bring freedom, not cover up. Like David, I choose to believe that within all of us, we want to be free. We want to be free of the guilt and the shame. Our souls long for freedom, and it's found in genuine honesty. It's so natural of us to try to cover it up, to try to cover it up some more, but there is freedom in being able to say, God, you see me as who I really am. And you know me and you love me for who I am. But like David, our knee-jerk reaction is so commonly to One, try to cover it up. Two, to begin bargaining. We see this all through Scripture. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They break the one rule that God said, do not do this. And immediately, they try to cover up and hide. We live in a culture that's surrounded by cover-up. It's everywhere around us, right? If you do something wrong, cover it up and deny that it ever happened. Try to shift the blame to somebody else. Hope that it goes away, but really it only makes it worse. So you try to cover up and then we do what David did. You go into damage control mode. You try to begin to bargain with God. That's even instilled in our religious culture. If we get religious, not looking to God himself, but just looking to religion where we say, God, if you just help this to go away, how many of you have ever prayed a prayer like this? I will never do that again. I will be in church every Sunday. I will put some money in that box. Whatever it is, you start making those bargains to say, God, if you let me off the hook, here's what I will do and here's what I will stop doing. And we start this negotiation and that my friends, is a scam. That is not the relationship that God desires for you and I. It is a false freedom. 
thinking that somehow we have played a get-out-of-jail-free card. But deep down, what God wants from you, I think, is the same thing that we want for ourselves. Honesty. Authenticity and transparency. Verse 6, I like the way the message translation says it as well. It says this, What you are after is truth from the inside out. Enter me, then conceive a new true life. Freedom is found in confession, in repentance, when we are vulnerable before God Himself. Built into every fiber of our soul is the desire to be honest before God. And that is exactly what He wants from you as well. I think some of us have spent our whole lives trying to impress God, trying to show Him how good we are, how good we do at everything, as if it's some sort of first date, where we try to look our very best and perform our very best to prove our worth to Him. But I have good news for you today. God just wants the real you. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to earn your way to his approval. Confession and repentance is the way to freedom. The next thing we see here in Psalm 51 is that forgiveness is freely given, but it doesn't remove the consequences. In my years of ministry and meeting with people, it's not uncommon that I will meet with somebody who will come in and say, man, I've got to get this off my chest. And they tell me about what they've done and we can pray together and ask God for forgiveness. And then their hope is all the consequences are gone, right? And you may be forgiven, but it doesn't mean that the consequences are erased that we may have to face in life. Even in the midst of forgiveness, we see David comes to Nathan. Here they have this exchange. And Nathan tells him, you will find forgiveness and you will also face the consequences, the natural consequences of your actions. Nathan is a prophet. That doesn't mean he's a fortune teller. It means that he just speaks God's will to David. He simply a messenger. He says, you've done this. The result of doing this is this consequence. God loves you. He forgives you. But forgiveness is not a get out of jail free card. If we don't walk in honesty, if we're not willing to face the consequences of our choices, it simply compounds the problem And it puts us in this place in life where I feel like we spend way too much time and emotional effort in our lives where we're just stuck in this place where we're living with this burden on our lives. And the good news is God does not want you to have to live with that burden. He wants you to find forgiveness and freedom And in doing so, 
we're willing to face whatever it is that God has for our lives. Which leads us to the third thing that we find here in Psalm 51. Restoration is about accountability for yourself and helping others as they struggle. As we confess, we find forgiveness, but it doesn't just stop there. We also find restoration. As we confess to God where we have fallen short, not only do we find His love and His grace and His mercy, but He begins to put those broken pieces back together to make something that is truly beautiful and restored so that we can help others also be restored. Verses 12 and 13 said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. I was just talking with one of you this morning. It was simply expressing how I want to help people avoid the pitfalls that I have faced in life and what we have been through. That is teaching the ways to the others. God takes our darkest moments and restores them. Out of the mess comes a message. And your message will be able to speak to people that my message will never be able to reach. Nathan tells David this story, tells him there will be hard consequences But it also means that now there will be other people who are aware of what has happened, who now bring accountability into David's life. David is able to help them and he is able to help, they're able to help each other grow closer to the Lord. It produced people around his life that helped him to walk in the right direction. As we look at Psalm 51, Here's what we're reminded of. You do not have to keep doing the same things. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes. You don't have to keep living with the burden that some of you have been living with. You don't have to keep trying to cover it up. You don't have to live with a rebellious heart. The good news is, you can be healed. Doesn't mean that it never happened, but it means that God can take everything that you have been through, everything that you have faced, and He can restore what has been broken. David would eventually go on to marry Bathsheba. They would have a son named Solomon. Solomon would eventually take over the kingdom after David, and Scripture tells us that he was the wisest man ever. He wrote much of the Proverbs. Here's one of the Proverbs that he wrote, 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. He had seen this on display in his father. 
The truth is, all of us in life are going to mess up. We're going to have things within our lives that we wish could be erased. Concealing it, covering it up, is not the answer. It is in confession that we find freedom. In repentance that we find healing. And in restoration that we find hope not only for our lives, but for the lives of our family, for the lives of our friends, for the lives of our church community, as God begins to take what we were and use us to make a difference in the world around us. Today, I don't think there's any better way to remember the restoration that God gives us in our lives than sharing communion together, because that's what this is all about. Jesus gathered his disciples And he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he describes how his sacrifice has paid the price for our sins. How the new covenant, the promise of God, is now given for our lives. So here's how we prepare our hearts for communion today. I want to ask you, do you want to be free? Is there confession within your life? Is there repentance that needs to come from your life? That you need to lay at the foot of Jesus today? Is there a place in your life where you say, I need the restoration of God? I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of being a fake. If God can put that life back together, he can put my life back together. So as we prepare for communion, we're going to have an opportunity. I'm going to ask the ushers to come around with a microphone. You can confess. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I am going to ask you from the back of the room to the front of the room. You can come up and you can partake in the body of Christ that is broken for you, for the blood of Christ that is broken for you. And we confess to God. Maybe it's just the thoughts or the desires, the habits, the secret sin, freedom is what God offers us. As Jesus sat with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me, remembering that because of the cross, he has offered us freedom. Today, we owe him honesty. You're not fooling him anyway. Just like with David, God knew. He saw. So what's hidden in our lives? Where do we need to confess Where do we need to repent? I'm going to pray. And as you're ready, if you would, come up and uh, grab elements for communion. Step is going to lead us in a song from Psalm 51. If you want to reflect, you're welcome to. If you want to sing along, you are welcome to. But let's prepare our hearts for the freedom that God offers us. Dear Heavenly Father, 
we don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your kindness, but yet in the midst of you seeing and knowing, you love us anyway. You offer us a way through. You offer us hope in the midst of darkness. Lord, you remind us today that the habits do not define who we are. We can be free. The mistakes don't define who we are. We are defined by the blood of Christ. Lord, today, as we prepare our hearts, would you hear our prayer? Thank you that you sent Jesus on our behalf, that we could be yours. Let's take a moment of honesty between you and God, and you can come up and get the elements when you're ready.
Have mercy on us, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of our sins. Wash us clean from our guilt. Purify us from our sin. For we recognize our rebellion and it haunts us day and night. Against you and you alone have we sinned. We have done what is evil in your sight. We remember the sacrifice and the broken body of Christ. Let's take the bread together. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean again. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Do not keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. We remember the sacrifice of Christ, the promise of the new covenant. Let's take the cup together. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. May we go forth from here and live in the freedom that Jesus desires us to walk in. God bless you all. We will see you next Sunday. If you need prayer, our prayer team will be available.